the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Maniple. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Comic Podcast, episode number 195. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed, fresh from a cameo on Batgirl to Oracle. How are you on a cameo? We did a and cameo. This is, um, I think about it. And this is Stella, <laughs> trying to figure out what Ed's talking about. All right, so we are covering the weeks of September 4th through September 17th. I also have no idea what anybody's talking about, so I'm just going to keep going. That's because uh, you don't we- listen to my show. It's not true. I sometimes listen to your show. I barely have time to listen to our own show. Yeah, I know. And I only have I only do actually do that because I'm I have to edit it. So anyway, that being said, uh September fourth through September seventeenth, uh as far as news goes, there is only one real quick thing. Baltimore Comic Con happened and uh our comic reviewer on the website, Jim, was on hand. Uh he has a roundup of some of the stuff that was announced at uh, the DC Rebirth panel that was moderated by Dan DiDio. Uh, no actual new news. It was just kind of rehashing some of the stuff that had been previously announced either via the internet or at Comic-Con before. But uh, the big news was that sales numbers for DC Comics and Rebirth have been astronomical and it is a success. success. And I think it's actually more of a success than even the New 52 was, which... If you remember correctly, one of the big pushing points for New 52 was to bring in new readers. And isn't it funny how we are now, uh, you know, five years later during Rebirth, we're going back to some of the old, you know, old ways, which is continuity matters. Everybody's part of the same universe. And suddenly the sales numbers are, you know, doing remarkably better than they were at, during the New 52. Um, I I don't know. I don't, I would say that maybe, uh, you know, all the stuff that they wanted to do during new 52, uh, maybe it was a mistake and they actually scared away a lot of, you know, long time readers and rebirth has actually brought them back, but sales numbers are huge. Uh, we'll actually have the real numbers for, uh, August, uh, next month or next episode. But we do know that Harley Quinn was number one for the month. Um, and Batman and Suicide Squad rounded out the top three. So um, DC actually held nine of the top ten slots for comics and completely obliterated Mar- Marvel's uh, market share dominance forever. It's good to hear. Uh, but I think like forever. Eight, I think it was like six or eight percent or something like that that they were over Marvel, which is insane. So yeah, clearly Rebirth is working for DC at least for the time being. So let's just keep hoping that uh, they keep doing it. I mean, based off of the stuff that I'm reading and the stuff that we're reviewing and the stuff that's reviewed on the website, I'm, I I think it's, you know, there's a few small things here and there that I have some issues with, but I think overall it's a much better place for comics right now than it was, uh, man, maybe any time I've been reviewing comics. Well, it says see, I, a lot because it's been like eight years. So, well, it was the um, most comic units sold in twenty years was in August. Yeah, 
that was some news that came out too. Was that it was they, they were over ten million units, which is a lot. Um, also, too, that the sales numbers are kind of—I won't get into depth or anything—but the number twos and threes aren't having the biggest fall off as they did after when New Fifty Two came out. The number one sold because number ones always sell, right? But then the fall offs from issue two and three were a lot more drastic than what we've seen for Rebirth. So yeah, I think more sales is better for everybody. All right. So outside of that, there is no other news. Um, it's been kind of a slow couple weeks. But uh, with that, we're going to jump straight into our books because we do have three to cover this one this time around. So we're going to start off with All-Star Batman. All-Star Batman number two, wrote by Scott Snyder. And the main artist is John Romita Jr. Uh, once again, I am going to be borrowing this breakdown from our friend Corbin, who did who did the review on the website, because he puts it all in order, and I tried to do it, and quite frankly, I screwed it up like three times. So, here we go. Starting off on this one. Uh, years ago, Harvey is standing on the beach watching the sunset as Bruce approaches him and congratulates him. Uh, Bruce then hands him his coin, telling him it always comes back to him. 24 hours ago, Penguin, Black Mask, and Great White are meeting with the most stereotypical Russian man you can think of. Thing is, he used to work for the Soviet Union before its collapse. Afterward, the U.S. government uh, hired him to kill for them. Gotham's underground pays him in vodka, which is strange, and asks him to kill Batman. He agrees as long as he can do it as messy as he wants. Meanwhile, we see Duke and Alfred discussing the change in Harvey. Uh, Alfred explains that the changes happen and tend to last for several months. When Harvey is Harvey, he works with Bruce, trying to get a grip on his duality. Last time he sent Bruce a chemical compound. After looking it over, Bruce realized that it's a trap and rides off after them. Now Bruce has chained Harvey to the roof of the train after when he fights off Killer Croc. Croc beats him up with a tree, allowing enough time for Trixie, uh, a.k.a. King Shark, to break free and join. Another giant villain named... <clears throat> I don't know who this one was. Uh, shows up, gives Batman a good beatdown, and then holds Batman up to be squished by the tunnel as they're about to go through. It's a big, like, giant battle fight. There's amygdala. Amygdala, that's right. Yeah. Um, also known as amygdala. <laughs> what? Amygdala. Like Padme Amidala? No, amygdala. Oh, okay. That's how I've always pronounced it, but, I mean, I'm sure hmm. there's multiple ways of pronouncing it. Well, we can we get done with this show. We can take a trip to Baloney together. Um, oh, oh my gosh! Oh, Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, poor Dustin. Oh, <laughs> <sighs> mm. He shoots some shark repellent at Trixie, and he jumps off. Uh, Croc comes to again at Batman with a tree. It's a really long. It's a really good drawn fight here. Uh, and Batman throws a battering slash crowbar at him, which sticks in his skin, leaving the piece of lumbar stuck into his chest. As soon as they clear the tunnel, Batman tries to get Two-Face up. Hey, uh, is it is it lumber or lumbar? Oh my gosh. Lumbar. Oh, that's how it goes? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, like lumbar support? Or is it lumber? What? Where is this sure going? I'm pretty sure it's lumber. It's lumbar. Out there, I'm not the only one who messes words up. I don't know. Why I thought lumbar. Lumbar would be like the support out of someone's chair that got yeah. ripped out and thrown at yeah. him. Yeah, that's good. As soon as they clear the tunnel, Batman tries to get Two Face up, but he doesn't cooperate very much. Suddenly, Batman is shot from behind with a poison dart from Cheshire and Copperhead, waiting for him up ahead. Two Face tells him that he may have made it farther than they expected, and Batman grabs Two Face, cuffs their hands together, detonates some explosives that he had placed on the cart before the croc fight. 
and the two fall off the train down to the river below. Uh, farther downstream, the two emerge from the river and fight again. Uh, Batman begins dragging Two-Face through the woods as Two-Face tells him he's messing up. A red dot appears on Batman's cow and a gunshot rings out. Moments later, a SWAT team is transporting Two-Face and a chained-up Batman. The leader flips Harvey's coin at him and says, Pretty side he lives, ugly side he dies, typical Two-Face thing. He lands on the ugly side and laughs about Batman dying. Then Two-Face jumps up and shoots the guy in the face. Uh, he falls out of the armored truck. Uh, Batman makes his move by, to escape by, by breaking two, two of the SWAT guys' legs. At the same time, uh, the Beast, which I believe is supposed to be KG Beast, shows up and shoots the driver of the truck, causing it to lose control and crash. We then see the final scene, which is uh, Commissioner Gordon and Harvey Bullock, as well as the rest of the Gotham City Police Department, arriving at Wayne Manor. Um, they manage to get inside an Alfred uh, there as they begin to break down the grandfather clock to look inside, assuming they are going to the Batcave. Uh, there's also a backup here, which is essentially some of uh, Duke investigating Zaz and a continuation on from the uh, the backup from uh, from last month. Two things here for you guys. One, this is, seems to be a real different kind of Two-Face now that we get to see him a little more in this issue. There doesn't seem to be the heart, and I've noticed some people talk about this online, there doesn't seem to be the conflict for you. You have Harvey and Two-Face sometimes. Um, Alfred talks about that sometimes he's Harvey for long periods of time, and this apparently he is Two-Face for a long period of time. Uh, this seems to be a departure from a traditional Two-Face, um, and I know that this could be seen as Scott Snyder reworking classic Batman villains again. Um, I was wondering what you guys thought of this new take on the character. Well, I think it's interesting that it was explained the way it was as far as, you know, sometimes the Two-Face version, you know, it takes control for a longer period of time. And then there's the control from Harvey. And in some ways, it actually makes more sense than just having them conflicting. Not, not necessarily that it makes more sense, but that it, it's, I think it's actually a better way to put it. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of Snyder, you know, screwing around with the, you know, characterizations of these classic villains. But I think this this is one of those ones where it actually works, I think, better. Um, I do remember uh, on the website, Corbin had suggested a speculation that uh, that's back in Batman Robin when, when he shot himself, um, that he potentially made of, might have taken out the Harvey aspect from his brain. And then that's why two faces in control right now. Um, I thought to myself, as I was reading that, well, that seems like a little bit too much like fight club. So I don't know that that would actually be the case, but at the same time, you know, I do feel like something's going on where, you know, because two face has been in the same persona since the beginning of the story, clearly something's going on here because the, you know, because Harvey isn't helping Batman in any way, shape or form. He, you know, sent him the, you know, the message to, to him saying, I need your help and I need to get to this place, but we haven't seen that same Harvey at all. So um, I think that it works the way it is. I think right now, I mean, it's, you know, we'll still have to wait and see, but I think for now, the way it's being written, I'm, I'm fine with this. I have something before I speak first. Here we go. Amygdala. 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 <laughs> so I did look. <laughs> I looked it up and I uh, just wanted to. And who, who exactly is saying that? It's a man on YouTube. A man on YouTube. And that, that's your that's your source. Well, man. if I go on Merriam-Webster, I'm, I'm sure she'll say the same thing. I'll, I'll try it in the break and do it the next time. I say, uh, hey. 
I think we can agree that sometimes it rubs us the wrong way. Like, like this one, Sam, I'm going to say this a little more diplomatically. When, you know, characters that we have grown invested in and have a, you know, history with, they're, mm-hmm. they're, backstories start to change and uh with all of that said i actually liked sort of the change up with two-face i don't know if it was ever random when he like switched in and out uh, i felt like there was always maybe some sort of trigger but i liked this the way that um there's something still going on in his mind uh and i think while one side has more control than the other i think it's great to see that he's fighting it in a very Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde sort of way, and that um, it's brought up in the fact that um, Duke is doing this research and saying, you know, this seems like a very different guy than, you know, he's watching like a film reel kind of thing and and seeing his his past MOs. And then it's, it's explained that he, he gets more ostentatious. Harvey Dent makes himself get more ostentatious in order, because he knows that he's about to lose control and then Two-Face is going to take over and he wants him to get uh, caught and arrested and put away. And I think, you know, what a great way to show that. um, I don't, I I just feel like it's a really interesting take on the character. I I think it gives more, almost you feel more empathy towards him, I think, because, you know, I think people enjoy the Harvey Dent character and they've enjoyed his relationship with Batman and Jim. But I think once he turned into Two-Faced, that was irrevocably altered and he could, you could never really get back, I think, the empathy and the sympathy that you had for that particular character. But I think this sort of brings that back because you still see that Harvey is there and he's, you know, he's still trying to fight against it, but it's, it's hard because it, it always overpowers him. So I actually really liked this. I'm glad it was explained. I'm glad that Snyder used different methods to explain it because I think you not only see it in the story itself, but then you see it with Duke um, because he's seeing that there's a visual change and he's wondering what's going on. And then you have Alfred uh, explaining it to him. So it's different layers, which I'm glad that, you know, this weird stuff isn't ha- was happening and then it wasn't explained to us, which I think we, we complain about sometimes. So I think it was handled well and I think it's a really nice departure and, and hopefully a, a, a change in a they'll move on with this, whoever decides to take Two-Face on after this. Well, here I was, <clears throat> all ready to defend Scott Snyder when everyone said he hated <laughs> how he reinvented Two-Face, and it, it uh, was terrible, and, uh-huh. and I agree with everything that those two just said. Um, yeah, no, I think it, it actually does I – like, I like this version. I like how we can have a little more uh, consistency with it, um, and it seems to make more sense overall. So I'm just going to be, gonna be rehashing what – what my two co-hosts have said, but no, I like it. I think that this is a, is a positive change. It's not that I ever dislike two faced a lot, but I, I do like this version. It does seem uh, a little more, a little more grounded. And then the other thing is we see that Jim and, and Harvey are about to uh, tear down the grandfather clock. And there's that kind of shock Ooh. look at Jim yeah. at the end. We can mm-hmm. almost all pretty much guarantee they're not going to walk down the Batcave. So what do we think is going on here? And what is what is the end game of this whole uh, kind of side story or, you know, with, with, with the commissioner and Detective Bullock? I have no idea. Um, I'm actually slightly concerned about what's going on here because if it is possibly 
if it's if it's presented if what's happening is actually happening exactly the way it's being presented this is like a big big deal i mean this isn't some small thing like you know you know tweaking the look of mr freeze or you know making poison ivy a employee a, a former employee of wayne uh wayne enterprises or anything like that this this is a big big deal like having the gcpd raid wayne manor and go down and figure out that batman is or that bruce wayne is batman i mean that's huge um i'm not real sure how i feel about that because i want to believe that this isn't actually happening that maybe what we're seeing is some sort of like scarecrow induced fear thing that'll happen towards the end of the story arc or something (laughs) like that I don't know. I mean, like, I, I this it wouldn't be the first time that, of course, that uh, that Snyder has done this because if you remember, right at the beginning of, um, when was that Endgame? Was it Endgame that uh, the battle before the Joker? That when that story arc started off and they weren't in Wayne Manor and they were in the penthouse. Was Endgame? Julia was yeah. It was Endgame, and they he had this like weird dream that happened. That, you know, Lark was there and that's how they had the, these calls and we were trying to figure out what it all was. And even though it was really never super explained, it had something to do with Scarecrow and Alfred made some comment about, you know, being exposed to Scarecrow. So I wonder if this is the same type of thing that's happening, although I don't know that that would necessarily be a fear of Bruce Wayne. So I don't know who this I don't know. I don't really know what to think at this point. Don't you think using Scarecrow would be like a total cop out, though? Like if oh, you go I down would. a road and decide that, like, actually. But the, th- but the thing is, there's something weird going on because there's a reason I feel there's a reason why the story is broken up in this weird, scattered mm-hmm. way that we're seeing it. And I don't know the explanation behind it. I mean, the stories when 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 it's explained in chronological order, it it makes sense. But like when you read it in uh, the way it's presented on the page, it comes across as like this very strange. Why is it being formatted the way it is? And I and I feel like there's something to it. I don't know what it is, but there has to be something to it. Otherwise, why are, why is it happening? Uh, well, before I speak again, here here's Miriam. Yeah, Webster. somebody else. Yeah, okay, wonderful. I've already been. I've been. I, Did I've you hear? Been, I've been, yeah, yeah. I've been oh, trying yeah, to. He was talking. What was that again? Amygdala. Hmm. What's that? <laughs> so that was Miriam. <laughs> Yeah, go find somebody to say lumber is lumbar. Well, that was, I didn't even catch that. I think I was still focusing on yours. Hey, let me remind you of something trippy that happened in Batgirl. Do you remember Batgirl issue number 49? And this one was like the freaky deaky cover with like her head kind of spiraling out of control. And this is where Frankie's going inside of her mind. You remember this? And like trying to regain the correct memories because um, the fugue was messing up her memories. And do you also remember, um, perhaps I'm just talking to myself, but there's that one page of these memories uh, that have happened, haven't happened. It's sort of left up. It's Mm, ambiguous, remember? And one of them is the killing joke, obviously. And so uh, I remember when Cameron Stewart, I think, took to Twitter or whatever and and said something about uh, we leave that up to interpretation. And we had a discussion about is it in continuity or not. One of the images, if if I can recall to your mind, is actually Bruce – well, it's Batman exposed as Bruce Wayne, kind of on trial, and uh, Two-Face is standing behind him. Now, 
you know, the chances are that it has anything to do with one another, or maybe slim. But I just think that that is a pretty wondrous coincidence that that's just one of those panels inside that um, mm. freaky deaky mindscape. And, and then we have this. I agree with uh, Dustin because I think he – uh, mentioned this that it's a uh, it's a huge deal if this is something that is is going to happen um, and it's interesting because the very first page you know it says two days from now and the talk is pretty casual uh, you know and and it's hard to tell if. <laughs> You know, does Jim know that Bruce is Batman? Uh, which I guess, you know, near the end, obviously, he has to if he's in Wayne Manor and they're going down someplace that's secretive. But it's just interesting how, you know, the mannerisms and everything, he's not getting upset. They're just passing a cigarette back and forth. And, and he's, of course, saying that um, I warned him about this. But it's not like he's shocked at, you know, this is... Batman is Bruce Wayne, which I find very interesting. I think it would really change the whole climate uh, of of the Batman universe if Jim Gordon, um, if it's out there. Because I think we always talk about the fact that there's probably always a suspicion that Jim has, I think, maybe with Batman and Bruce Wayne being one and the same. But for it to be outwardly spoken and then, of course, for it to be public in the sense that the GCPD or other people may know about it uh, would would be pretty big. Um, so I, I think – well, it makes me nervous. I don't know if I would want that to happen. But if it does happen, I would – I think it's worse to have – uh, like a go back, like a mulligan thing all, already set up that we're doing this, but actually, hey, guess what? Gotcha. Not really. I mean, that's kind of annoying, you know, story point wise. Is but that just me? That would be but, annoying. But let's be honest. This, this, this was supposed to be the first time that he's done something like this. Uh, do you remember the Clayface uh, story? Right. Yeah. He did the same That's thing where the entire first issue we were under this assumption that Gordon was chasing down Bruce Wayne. And then it was yeah. revealed in the next issue that, oh, wait, it's not Bruce Wayne at all. It's actually Clayface. Well, I don't want that to be like a trope associated with Scott Snyder. Then. I, I mean, he's got to be either. a better writer than that. I'm sure. I, I'm sure. It, I, I, okay. Well, I know he is a better writer than that, but I'm, 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 I don't want it to be a trope associated with him either, but. But he's also not afraid to make the big change, too. I mean, remember, we got the definitive word that Joker knows who Bruce is, which was a big deal. And at first, I didn't think any of us thought that they would actually do that. So I don't think he'd shy away from doing it per se. I don't think that's what's going on here. I don't know what's going on here. If it was – here's what's going to sound weird. If it was just Jim Gordon, I would be okay. I could see us – you know what I'm saying? Like, if just Jim Gordon found out that Bruce Wayne was Batman, that could actually make for some interesting stories. What does he do with the information? Because, I mean, Jim's also a smart guy. If Jim realized Bruce was Batman, then he would realize who Tim Drake is and Dick Grayson. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. everything would fall into place relatively quick, quickly. Um, I think that can make some interesting stories. But the fact that Harvey is there and the rest of, of the GCPD there were with them, I don't think that could be what's going on here. Um, I don't think the Batman Inc. thing would work. I don't think you'd go, well, we let him put the cave below the house because we built stuff for him. You know, like... I don't think that would work. Um, I'm thinking that whatever is behind there, because you remember that last panel is kind of Jim giving like a, you know, look like I think that whatever is behind there isn't going to link them to think that the bat caves there. Um, maybe there's a hologram. Maybe there's another wall. 
I don't know. And, and another reason we don't know why they're there either. Uh, Cause it happens two days later. So I'm assuming that maybe two face calls in a tip or I don't know. I don't know why they're there. Um, and I didn't really have a good explanation. So I figured I'd ask you two. For let's, one. let's just hope that it's not going to turn into Alfred really betraying Bruce completely. Oh man. <laughs> why not? He already hates him. He shot down his plane last, last year. I know. I'm seeing that's why I'm wondering. I'm really hoping it's not going that direction. Do you remember? Alfred's cashing in his 401k. Oh, no. <laughs> Do you remember that one, like, I, I don't know if it's like a cultish. You, oh, that's not really what I mean. Uh, it's like a horror film, but one of those, like, dark comedy horror films. And the guy, like, his hand becomes possessed and he ends up cutting it off and it, like, follows him around. Do you remember what this is called? I can't remember oh, what it's called. But dead. it just reminded me. I just thought of it. I was like, what if, you know, Alfred's hand is possessed or something's wrong with it? And so it's like taking over his mind. That might be a little outside of what we, we'll probably end up seeing. <laughs> I don't know. If, okay. if you've read Witches from Scott Snyder, that man's got a mind that is not, is com- barely twisted from time to time. <laughs> uh, okay. So all-star Batman. Uh, I'm going to give this one a total of four out of five. I got to say, I love this, these, you know, random villains being brought in. I think they're, they're doing it very well. Um, I am going to give this four and a half out of five. This is just great. I love the reinvention of, of, of Two-Face and I might change my grade retrospectively. Something terrible happens with the Batcave, but for what it is right now, I'm interested. And I will agree with uh, the main man, Dustin. I'll give it a four out of five. All right, so over on the website, Corbin gave it four, so that's going to give All-Star Batman number two a total of four out of five. Let's move into our next book, Batman. Batman number five, I am Gotham Epilogue. Writer Tom King, pencils Ivan Rias, inks Joe Prado, Eau Claire Albert, and Scott Hanna, and colors Marcelo Maiolo. Monday. Claire talks to Hank, her departed brother, as she shaves her head, a la Kate Kane, and tells him a joke about Batman. Something about Batman and trees and being good at it. Tuesday, Gotham Girl takes out Colonel Blimp while telling her brother that she is tired because she stayed up watching reruns on Nick at Night. She also asks him if he thinks their mom was too judgmental. Wednesday, Duke lets Batman know that Gotham Girl has gone out again, but all Batman says is, I know, repeatedly. Just like Dustin does. Thursday, Mm. Claire remarks to Hank that she loves how Gotham looks at night. Beautiful and a nice little two-page spread. Friday, Claire continues to talk to Hank while out on patrol, but her thoughts are interrupted by someone calling for help. Captain Stingery, who has dressed up four people as Batman, one of them being his own brother, is forcing them to walk the plank off a roof. Gotham Girl rescues the Batman who walked the plank and remarks that Hank would enjoy the pirates, at least when he was younger. After she saves the rest of the Batman, the real Batman <laughs> comes and she goes into fangirl mode, then later flies off, clearly showing her emotions are still psycho pirate influenced. Batman asks Alfred how he helped Bruce when he was younger, but Alfred states that given what Bruce is currently doing, did he really help? Saturday, Kite Man goes on a short robbery spree, but Gotham Girl catches him and retells the Batman joke. She later says she doesn't feel well. Batman shines a signal light and asks, and then she flies down, and asks her why she is helping the city. She answers that helping Gotham makes it hurt less, but in her answer, she's only really talking to Hank, not really to Batman. Batman then reveals that he is Bruce Wayne. 
and that his parents were killed and he spoke to his mother in the aftermath of the crime and still does. Batman and Gotham Girl then bond and hug. So, which, you know, once we do detective, two hugs and t- two out of three books is interesting. Sunday, Batman speaks to Amanda Waller about Strange, who made a deal with Bane. Strange caused this series of disasters that we've been witnessing around Gotham in order to gain control of Psycho Pirate. And then he exchanged Psycho Pirate for some venom to Bane. Bane now has Psycho Pirate in Santa Prisca with him. And if he wants, uh, well, if Batman wants Amanda Waller's help, he will work for her. But he has to know that it is suicide. Wanna Next, Night of the Monster Men. And then, I Am Suicide Part 1. With the talk of mothers, especially the conclusion where Batman reveals that once, you know, the crime happened and his mother was, was dead and, and the sirens were coming and he was talking to her and he still does. Are we witnessing, currently in Batman, more, are we witnessing a paradigm shift in his origins, um, in his origin that actually puts Martha at the forefront of his upbringing and influence? And I, I'm thinking not only of this particular comic, but I'm also thinking about Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, because of, like, he went to, you only saw his mother's grave when he went into the, um, well, whatever that's called. I've, I've forgotten what the crypt. crypt. Yeah, the crypt. And um, he also, of course, the Martha thing, right, was the connection between him and Clark. So are we seeing a shift in his origins to put more focus on Martha's influence in his life? The th- I don't know. That we're, I think the thing is, I think there's always a connection between a mother and a son or a mother and daughter for that matter. Uh, the mother, I think, always has a more of an impact on – the child just because it's the mother, they have a physical connection because of how the child came to be. So I think that there's that aspect of it, but I think the other part of it is if you are, I mean, there's been some stories here and there that have focused on, you know, Bruce's childhood at, in small little bits here and there um, prior to his parents dying. And he lived, you know, a, a normal life. I mean, for a normal life, when you consider the fact that his parents were rich beyond belief, but he lived a normal life. He was a normal kid that, you know, just had rich parents and a butler and things like that. But I mean, like for the most part, it wasn't like he had trouble in his life before the thing happened with his parents. Now, that being said, if you, if you think about it from the perspective of, we don't actually have like tons of information. Yeah. There are scenes that have been shown in, in films where, you know, uh, for example, in Batman Begins, you know, he, he he actually has more interaction with his father than he did with his mother um, in that film. Um, and then vice versa, obviously, with Batman vs. Superman, we have ha- him having more, not necessarily interaction, but more um, references to his mother. Um, but I think that was more, in the film Batman vs. Superman, I think that was more just because they have the same mother and that's a very strange way to just end a fight, but that's just the way it was written. So that aside, I think, I don't necessarily think that they're trying to shift the, the focus. I think it's more about the idea that it's easier to relate to your mother than it is your father. In some cases, if you were a child and you lost your parents, Um, because the mother is typically the one who is more caring, who's 
around. And that's not always the case. I mean, in some cases, the father's the one who's more around. But we know that Thomas Wayne was a doctor who worked um, as a doctor. So it's not like he was necessarily around all the time. Mothers tend to fill that that role. But that, you know, I'm not saying that's always the case. But in this situation, I'm thinking that's probably why they're going with the reason they're going. Hmm. Well, let me, th- you know, hmm. Interesting point. You, you know, we, we would see that the original Batman origin and other things, you're talking 40s, 50s, 60s, Thomas would have always been the most important one. You call it latent sexism or just writing at the time, but definitely, you know, he would have been the man and she was just the housekeeper. I think over time we've seen her evolve a little bit. We've had, you know, some stories where her family had something to do with the Arkham's and the Arkham Asylum, definitely in Earth, the Earth One book. There's some allusion to that. Um, I do think that we could see her more focal now because I think we're in an age where she can be just as focal as Thomas was. I think up until the 70s, 80s, the, any type of – think about it, Any conspiracy story back then that was – you know, that was they were out to get Thomas. It wasn't just a murder. Always sitting around Thomas because that was, was the way it was, it was done though. I don't mind her taking a bigger role in that. Um, I think we saw some very good character moments in Court of Owls with her and young Bruce. Um, and I think we've been building on a little bit since then. So if that's the direction they want to go to, I feel like that over the history of the character, we've gotten all the Thomas Wayne stories. Not that they, listen, if you've got a great Thomas Wayne story, tell it to me, I'll read it. But, um, I think we've got a lot of Thomas Wayne stories out of the way. So I would totally be cool with more exploration of, uh, of Martha's character and, and Martha's family and, and, you know, the other members of the Bat family that could come from, that come from Martha's family. So yeah, I'm totally fine with it. And didn't we just recently read a story where is it focusing on Gotham by Gaslight? The last one I can think of where okay. Martha really was focused on because if remember Jack the Ripper was 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 going to kill Martha and Thomas was just there. Yeah, okay, was well, it? That's not, that's not the only one. I mean, there was also in the like streets of, of Gotham. They were telling the backstory yes. of the Kings and the Waynes, and that was dealt with. Um, where they were, we were talking about how Martha and Thomas met each other. Um, but that was probably the most recent s- story that I think involved her. Yeah, it's not necessarily they, like there wasn't a huge focus on her. It was just, I think that was the most recent situation where she was referenced outside of just, you know, by name. Well, wasn't there a recent, like a really recent story where she was reading him? Like, I don't, was it Alice in Wonderland? And oh, that we was saw later on that Alfred tried to get him to read it, but he wouldn't. That was the um, wasn't that in Detective Comics when Mad Hatter popped up? It may have been, yeah. Was Maybe. it an annual or something? Or I thought it was no, like very recent. But. I think it, no, it was those. It was those issues when when uh, Tyon took over for Snyder. Right, tiny, tiny. Wasn't it fifteen fifty two where where he took over for for Scott Snyder? But in between that and well, could be, yeah, I think so, yeah. Anyways, but I just uh, yeah, I remember that. Well, I just felt like more <clears throat> more attention was brought to yeah the maternal roles. I, I mean, you know, when Claire's talking to her brother about their mother and everything, and even when Bruce is saying, I mean. He wasn't necessarily speaking negative of his father, but he was, you know, my father was a good man, but I could never talk 
dot, dot, dot. He's very formal, dot, dot, dot. So, and I just felt like um, maybe it is the Batman Begins that's influencing me, but I just always felt like his father had more of a moral um, and ethical impact on him. Uh, maybe his mother brought the compassion and empathy, but I felt like his, I don't know. I mean, parents, I think, bring two different dimensions um you know, to your life. And I think that's true of, of Batman, but then, you know, Alfred, I think may have pushed him along even farther, but I just felt like this is, this seems like something is changing a little bit, especially when we go over to detective comics, where obviously the maternal, um, bloodline, right. Is what is connecting of the canes. So I, I just wonder if maybe we are moving, in a direction where we'll see more of Martha and her family's influence, not only on Bruce, but on the, on the rest of people. And I feel like maybe we're already starting to do that. And for me, you know, obviously my comics history with Batman isn't as wide or as um, deep as YouTube, but I just feel like this is kind of the first time my attention has brought to been brought to Martha. And then of course, you know, most ostentatiously to uh, the Martha. Why did you say that name in Batman versus Superman? But yeah, I just, I just wondered if you thought maybe we're switching some things up with this. Well, and I think that this will be a real loss if he doesn't play the Martha audio clip at some point during this. So just oh, a note to the editor. If you don't do that, you're, you're failing. Uh Oh, do you take that challenge, Dustin? I'm ignoring it. You were never a god. You were never even a man. You're letting him kill Martha. What does that mean? Why did you say that name? Find him. Save Martha. Okay, so my second and final question is in regard to these villains that we see. So let me just mention them again. We've got Colonel Blimp, who first appeared in Batman 352, and he actually only has five total appearances in comics, and this is one of them, so just keep that in mind. Uh, We have uh, Captain Stingery, who appeared in Detective Comics 460. And I found out while doing research on him that uh, he came out as gay and was actually in a relationship with the Cavalier, which I thought was amazing because Cavalier is one of the the villains that uh, Barbara Gordon used to face off against. And then Kite Man, a.k.a. Charles Brown. (laughs) Do you get it? Because 
you know, Charlie Brown Charlie always Brown. got his kite stuck in the tree. Um, <clears throat> his first appearance is Detective Comics 133. And I do want to at least shout out to um, Shag Matthews, uh, who, uh, w- along with Rob Kelly, runs the Who's Who podcast um, on the Fire and Water Network. And this is his favorite mort. Uh, kite man kind of a mort is like this loser in comics you know that's got nothing going for them uh okay so we've got these three people and and this is my question bringing these three in do you feel like this is showing a dedication to batman's history and and starting to bring characters uh, to the fold more that we have not really seen rather than the new 52 standard of um Creator, well, I was going to say creator-owned, uh, original villains, or do you see this as what Donovan calls continuity porn? And so, if, for people who are not in the know of continu- what continuity porn is, I did want to ask Don, like, how would you describe it? So, this is what Don says. Basically, when a writer shows off how much they know about characters' history by inserting trivial tidbits that have no bearing or importance in the story – in a way that takes up attention and makes a big deal out of itself. So is this a dedicated, you know, pulling these guys, these three villains here, which are like probably D-list or below. I mean, they're pretty low. Showing a dedication to Batman history or is it continuity porn? What do you think? I think that continuity porn is a weird way of putting it, but... <laughs> it don't say. I mean, let's just be honest. Shout here. out to John. I mean, it, it, it's it's a very strange way to phrase it, but I mean, like, I see what he's, I understand his meaning behind it, and I guess to a degree, you could definitely say that whenever something like this happens, in a situation like this, um, in this specific issue, the fact that we have three different villains that technically all came about from three different decades, it kind of does come across as something that you could describe as Don puts a continuity porn, but... I, I honestly feel like I'm fine with something like this. And I think it's actually cool to do because there are so many villains that, you know, were created in the fifties and sixties that are completely irrelevant. Now they make no sense to have them around, but to have them be a throwaway character that just gets taken down very easily by somebody, regardless of who it is. I think that's the perfect way to have the character pop up. Um, it's much better than just having, a random thug or be a you know you know some random character that the 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 creator just created to in order to serve the purpose that they needed to serve so i mean like in this situation these were three villains that they didn't really necessarily serve a specific purpose towards any of you know what was going on they just were three random villains that gotham girl was able to easily take down very easily i don't know that batman would have had that much more difficulty to take them down either but um that's what happened i mean like i thought it was kind of cool to see them here i mean like yeah in some ways i could see where don's coming from with the idea that okay is is tom king potentially just doing this to do it because he can maybe but is that really any different than what Scott Snyder's currently doing with All-Star Batman? Because in some cases, Snyder's doing even more so because he's had at least three different villains very randomly pop up in the last two issues. So um, I don't know that it's necessarily bad. I mean, maybe there's some sort of, you know, specific, you know, uh, like order coming from higher up saying let's include some of the stuff from the pre, you know, the past continuity 
um, to show that we care about the, the past. And maybe that's what's happening. That's why we're seeing in two different books these deep cuts of uh, villains. That could be the case, too, because compared to the New 52, as you said, we went months without seeing you know, normal villains that we're, we were, you know, used to. I think it was like a year before Mr. Freeze popped up, uh, which was in a Scott Snyder annual. And that was like the first time a normal villain from the, you know, the rogues gallery popped up um, in, in one of the main TBU books. So in that regard, I'm completely fine with them using them as long as it serves a purpose. And in this case, these were three throwaway villains that can be thrown away <laughs> with no purpose. So, hmm. I think it's one, but it's like a fun version of one. Like, I don't think they're taking it too serious. Like, like this, these villains are ridiculous. Like Stella was generous by putting you fellows on the, on the D, the D <laughs> list. Right? I don't know how far that list. Is there an F list? I don't know. I, they might be on like the, the P through Q part of the list. Oh, if you gosh. just, I mean, they're, they're way off the, the path. Um, I don't think this is one where they're trying to impress us with it. I think they're just having a bit of fun with it. You know, and think about it. Like, if you want to do this, if you have, if you're using any character that has any gravitas at all, and you walk into the DC Comics office and you say, "I'm going to put even, you know, and put this character Calendar Man in a in a cameo," someone's going to be like, "Well, wait a minute, like, a cal- you know, so we could use Calendar Man. He's, you know, he was in the Arkham video game, you know, like, like I could see him like. So these are the people that are like, you want to use Kite Man, Colonel Plump, whatever, dude, do it. Like, have fun, you know. Um, so I think it's fun. Um, I, I don't think that – I think that there was probably a huge percentage of the population, the casual comic fan that read this and had no idea that these characters were existing characters. Um, I just think it's – I think it's fun. If, if you're going to have these type of throwaway characters, might as well use the, the junky old ones that no one really cares about anymore. And, and if we keep this trend going with any luck, we'll have an appearance from Condiment King <gasps> next month. I do I like that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it was fun to see them. I did, you know, it also got me to do a little bit of research because I was unfamiliar with two of the three. Uh, so, you know, I think that's always fun to get people to um, do research and, and get them more engaged in their reading rather than just reading at the surface. I think, you know, like what we do with the podcast, right? We're really looking at these and analyzing these comics. I, uh, but, but I just look at the whole, I look at the whole thing because, okay, let's go with the positive. So it's great to see these characters that we've not really seen, I think at all in uh, new 52 continuity or rebirth. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we've seen so. these guys here. And it's also great because we are seeing historical villains, uh, even though it seems like for the most part we have mostly seen – and maybe it's more like Batgirl when I'm thinking of it because I guess Batman has kind of stayed with villains. But I feel like for the most part, I think writers in the New 52 were trying to come up with new villains that were um, – creatively original and so it's great that you know we're showing a dedication with rebirth to to holding high standards and and having batman's history still be intact to a certain extent but i do feel like because they were taken out so easily 
um, and that you wouldn't really ever see them again. Uh, that, you know, it is a little bit of like, you know, just uh, an Amy Beddoes thing. If you read Batgirl, just like <laughs> dropping it, dropping the name and like it having no repercussions or impact on, on what was going on. And I don't know how much, you know, th- that I'm not saying this having an answer of, of how that would work. You know, could these three hold, you know, an arc? Uh, by themselves, probably not. <laughs> Together, who knows? You know, making up a little rogue gallery like uh, The Flash has. Um, but I just don't want – I love seeing historical villains, like I'm calling them. But I don't want them to be misused. Like, let's just drop these guys, you know, in there. Because All-Star, you know, you mentioned that. That was super fun to see those villains. But again – we haven't seen. We didn't see Killer Moth this issue. We didn't see Black Spider this issue. We didn't see Firefly this issue. So is that going to be the trend? And I think if that's the trend, if Rebirth is, yes, we have, we have, we want to bring back, you know, the classics. We're dedicated to, you know, an authentic Batman experience that delves into his history and pushes it forward into the future. If that's what they're doing, I think they should also be sensitive to the fact that these villains aren't meant to be like burned up at, at, you know, at all expense and, and just never dealt with again. So I think I would caution any writer that may be listening to this, that if you're going to use that, like if you're going to use condiment King, I'd like him to be used. Well, not just like a page and then he's dumped off. I I don't, I don't want that to happen. But see, but at the same time, isn't it, but isn't it okay for them I'm not saying okay. Here's here's I think the difference in my mind. Like, let's look at a situation like Blackest Night or some of the stories from the early 2000s where they took liberties and just killed off characters. Left, right, center. Yeah, and I was not a fan of that. I mean, like one of the characters that I really never really wanted killed off, but disappeared from the pages of the comics anyway. So there was no real reason for them to keep him around. Was Harold Allnut. And I, I enjoyed that character a lot when he was first introduced, but they stopped really focusing on him, using utilizing him. He stopped even appearing in the background of, of comics uh, probably by like the mid-90s after No Man's Land. So, I mean, like outside of that, when he was revealed to be the mole inside of the Bat family uh, during Hush, was it a shock? Yeah, kind of, because at some, in some points we're like, oh, crap, he's still around. Because he hasn't really been around for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, they killed him. And then it was just like, well, he's dead. That sucks. And that's not the only character. They did it to Arnold Wesker. They did it to Magpie. Because if you remember during Blackest Night, they had that Blackest Night, uh, those one shots that tied in. And there was one within the Batman universe. Uh, I believe it was in the pages of Catwoman. They brought Catwoman was the one that it happened in, but they had all these villains that came back from the Batman universe that had been killed. And the majority of all of the characters that had returned were characters that had been only killed off in the last 10 years because they just were, I mean, there was no real explanation behind it other than they just did. Um, you know, I was happy to find out when you did your interview with Scott Snyder, that Arnold Wesker ventriloquist is going to pop up somewhere you know, sometime in the very near future, we're assuming it's going to be in the pages of Batman. Um, but it, but at the same time, like I, I think it's completely okay for them to you know use villains like this that that are so far on the you know scale of importance to just be. Not, I'm not saying throwaway characters because we're not throwing them away. We're just they're just being used, utilized for 
you know, as, as a random villain that just needs to get taken out very quickly. And I think as long as they're not killing off these characters, I think any way of them using them, I think can be a good thing. Well, can you tell me what your definition of a throwaway villain is then? A throwaway villain would be, hey, here's somebody who hasn't really been prominent in stories since the 60s. We're going to bring him back and use it, you know, just murder him or her. Murder the character because they don't, they're not, they haven't served a purpose for, you know, 10, 20 years or whatever. They haven't really popped up. So now we're just going to, we're just going to kill them for the effect of being able to kill them. I mean, any character that I think is killed it's one of those situations where why did you need to kill the character? I mean, you, well, these guys got killed though. Did yeah. they? No, I mean, that's the thing to me. It, it, it's fine. So that's, that's why I'm fine with it because none of them did get killed. Well, I think too, and it's tough. I, I, I can see Stella and Dustin's point. You're like, what is that? And Stella asked the great question right there. And I don't have a good answer for it. What is the line? Like, I care what happens to Riddler. I don't care what happens to the kite king. You know what I'm saying? Does that make any sense? Like, I can't even tell you what it is. I can't tell you if it's the amount of appearances or how much that appearance affected me. Like, um, if you remember back in Detective Con- Comics with uh, Manipul and Buccioletto, I really like their anarchy, anarchy story because I really like the character Anarchy. Mm-hmm. But there's other characters that have had a bigger run than him that I don't care about. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't even know what the answer is. I guess it's a character that I've formed an attachment to. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. Sense? Whether or not you're attached yeah. to the character. Like even Killer Moth, who has such great history from Batgirl Year One, um, was fun to see, and they treated they treated the character very seriously too. I mean, I think that was the where the the the, the villains here in this Batman issue were used almost as punchlines. Um, the villains in Snyder's All Star Batman have been credible threats. Like Killer Moth at Firefly came in tearing up the joint, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they seem to be legitimate threats. Uh, the villains used in his book were, you know, part of this massive task force out to kill Batman and they were all threatening. Um, here, I don't want to say they were used quite for comic relief, but they were definitely not used quite as serious. But yeah, when it comes to how I care if the character's treated, I can't even give you, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's like the Supreme court just defining obscenity. I don't know what it is, but I know what it is when I see it, you know, like I don't know what makes a character makes me care about him, but I know when I do. So Batman, I'm going to give a total of three out of five. I'm going a little higher, three and a half out of five. Yeah, no, it's this is a hard one. Um, it's that haircut that's bringing him down. Mm. Everyone's going for the shit. I think I will also go a three point five out of five. All right, turn over on the website. Matthew gave it two and a half, so that's going to give the issue three out of five. Matt ranks. Let's move into our last book, Detective Comics. Detective Comics number 940, written by James Tynan, art by Eddie Barrows. Uh, the issue starts off with uh, the Colonel, Colonel Kane and uh, the General discussing how they're going to reprogram the drones because they've realized that Tim Drake has set all of the drones onto himself. Mm-hmm. Colonel Kane does not want that kid, or does not want Tim to be killed. He wants the tar- original targets to be taken out. But uh, the general says that he has no, he, he doesn't have the ability to do it. He, he basically designed it so that the drones would only seek out their main target and not be able to be rewired. Uh, the fact that Tim was able to do it um, proves to the general that he, that Tim is, is better than him and he can't figure it out. Well, Kate shows up and she decides to tell uh, the colonel that um, 
that he's lost and he's he's done. He needs to turn the the, the uh, drones away from him. He explains that he can't. Um, he says that this is personal. He always intended for her to be alongside him. Um, she then says that uh, this is the end of it. Um, as uh, he explains that he has some alien technology that's going to make his ship just kind of like poof, disappear and teleport to some other area. Uh, she explains, well, you're not going to be going with. She grabs him and jumps out of the the uh, craft, aircraft, and uh, the the aircraft disappears into a flash of light. Um, she knocks him out and then explains to uh, Batman that things are about to get much worse because, as it turns out, the second wave of drones is on its way towards Tim Drake. So as uh, we see Tim Drake on the rooftop of the Belfry, he was able to take down all of the first wave, but he also knows that the second wave is on its way and he doesn't have a shot. So he, uh, as soon as he realizes that the second wave is coming and it's even larger than the first wave, he says his goodbyes to both Bruce and uh, Stephanie Brown tells her that she, that he loves her. Um, And as the drones get closer and closer and closer, he uh, basically sets off some sort of explosive device that in turn obliterates his entire body and we see an explosion. The drones say target eliminated, mission complete, and they head off in some unknown direction. We see shock and awe amongst all of the members of the Bat family who are part of the team as well as Nightwing. Um, and we see Batman on his knees holding Tim's bow staff. Uh, we see uh, Kate appear and explain that her father is unconscious on the next rooftop. He says, uh, "We're not turning him into the. Uh, we're not turning him over to Argus yet. We're going to take him to the holding cells. He will answer to me for what's happened." Later, we see Spoiler coming into her apartment. She is she's crying, and Batman is there to essentially comfort her and says that Tim saved hundreds of lives and is tr- trying to you know s- show some sort of reason behind what has happened she in turns decides uh to hand him a letter uh showing that he was going to be going to ivy university this causes him to in fact break down and they embrace in a hug they hug uh then a lot of hugging going on this month as the issue ends we see a very strange blast uh tim drake is not dead he has appeared in some sort of dark black area um, and Mr. Oz, which we'll discuss who Mr. Oz is because it's actually not, it's not said that this is Mr. Oz, but it is, uh, Mr. Oz appears and explains uh, to Tim, uh, it's a pleasure to have you join us. Uh, those that loved you are s- certainly miss you. Um, but they all believe that you're dead. He's Tim says, tell me where I am. And Mr. Oz explains, you were reconnecting threads that could not be reconnected. You're so loved, so deeply intertwined, it became crucial that we take you off the field. And that's where you are, off the field. Um, Tim says, stop playing games. Uh, As the man opens a door and heads towards the door, he says, there's quite a bit of your mentor in you when you want want there to be, isn't there? Uh, This isn't close to being over. Um, then Tim says, my friends will come for me. Just you wait. My friends will come. Next up, uh, Night of the Monster Men. Lots of stuff happening here. So the first thing to discuss very briefly is, because the main event is obviously going to be everything happening with Tim Drake, 
But the quick yeah, thing that yeah. I want to discuss here is the fact that the that, that Colonel Kane has the has a, access to alien technology to begin with. Number one, um, in some ways, doesn't it feel as if the alien technology is kind of a MacGuffin, specifically because <laughs> if he has access to alien technology, what is the reason he needs to have drones? flying through and potentially killing a bunch of innocent people. If he has access to alien technology that can teleport a structure as large as whatever kind of aircraft that he's currently in teleported to some other place. Why wouldn't he utilize that same alien technology to teleport his men to wherever the, you know, the supposed league of shadow assassin people are and take them out that way. I mean, don't you find that just to be a little bit odd? Yeah, I mean, this is the problem with all infallible technology storylines, right? Like, if you have this technology, why can't you just do this? You know? Um, yeah, of course. He could beam the te- – the, remember, he's looking for terrorists that, that are going to blow up God. He could blame the, beam the terrorists into space. He could have beamed the drones that everyone's so concerned about turning around from not killing poor Tim. He could have beamed the drones into space. Like, yeah. Uh, you're not wrong. Um, and, and it's – why you don't need to go to alien technology to, you could have just had, you know, super great technology from the government or something. But yeah, anytime you introduce where technology, it was the old thing when, when technological technology is no different than magic, you have magic. Um, so this is what we have here is magic technology. And yeah. Anytime you introduce this, there's going to be problems. I think the biggest connection there is that it's basically magic and, that, and that's not, this isn't necessarily a title that that's supposed to be in, but anyway. Right. But you know what I'm saying? The tech, the, but the technology on this level oh, is yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. I guess the only thing I can really say about it is just perhaps Jacob has multiple plans like Batman does. And so it wasn't mentioned before this because he wasn't at that stage where it was necessary. But now where everything's sort of um, <laughs> going to hell, he kind of needs some other backup plan uh, to restart. And I guess this is what we're, we're left with. Um, but what this alien tech is, I don't know. I mean, it re- I wonder if they're able to latch in. Now, I will say, at least point the attention to the fact that Midnighter is brought up in this issue. Yes. Um, yeah. and, and I don't know if that's technically alien technology, but I just want – because there is sort of – so it's not completely out of the blue, like, where does teleportation go? Because we've known of uh, Midnighter before and, of course, his relationship – or however you would describe it, with uh, DeGrayson, and it was mentioned in this particular issue. So maybe he's tapping into that. So I feel like it's not completely out of nowhere, and he does seem like, Jacob does seem like the kind of guy who would have multiple plans. And so I don't know if I would consider it a MacGuffin. Now, you know, if we go on and finish this arc and it's never brought up again or we have no idea what he was even talking about, then um, I will. we can all rethink what we just said. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is it's it's I'm not I'm not really thinking like on the lines of like it's out of left field. I think it's just one of those I think it's more to me it just comes across as that same technology like Ed said could have been used in so many other situations um that why would you know why of all the reasons to use it do we decide to use it specifically for getting an aircraft away because they need to retreat. I mean we don't know the constraints of the technology. We don't know if it's specifically linked to it, but I mean, I, j- j- just to come out of left field and say, Hey, this is a guy who has been shown to have 
a group of soldiers that he has trained and he is utilizing the same gadgets that Batman's utilizing and things like that. He's training soldiers like that, but he also has access to alien technology. It, something just doesn't connect for me. I mean, like you're supposed to like you're having a grounded story. I understand that, you know, this is still existing within the DC universe and obviously alien technology as well as magic all already exists that there's no question there, but it's more about the idea of what is the reason it needs to exist. I mean, like Kate still takes him out. Argus, you know, Argus ships could have just swarmed the aircraft and said, you can't escape. And then he's like, Oh, but you know, uh, you know, the government's going to, you know, let me go or whatever. And then she's like, well, you're going to have to answer for, answer for your, for what just happened with Tim and takes him out of the ship anyway. And they could have ended up the same exact way. I just don't understand the reason of using the alien technology. Now, that being said, I don't want to say that that takes away from the enjoyment from this issue. Cause I thought this was a really good issue. I will say that, you know, the idea leading up to this issue, because for you know, because we had five weeks or five Wednesdays in August, we had an extra week. We had to wait. You know, I will say one: they've been doing an amazing job with these biweeklies, where you know every two weeks we're getting a new issue because the stories, regardless of whether it's here or in Batman, have been pretty, brief, have been paced very well. Where I want to know, I want to see what's going on in the next issue right away when it comes out. You know, I read detective comics, I finish and I'm thinking, oh, how much longer do I have to wait till the next issue? And and it's a lot more enjoyable, in my opinion, to only have to wait two weeks compared to four weeks, especially when you have big things happening in almost every issue. So I think that part of it is great. But the fact that we had to wait three weeks, it really stunk. So when this came out, I was super anxious to see it. But then there was also the rumors of will Tim actually die? Then there was the cover art that randomly changed from the solicitation image that had Tim Drake on the cover. And then all of a sudden he wasn't on the cover for the final cover. So there's a lot of aspects that clearly uh, went down into the, you know, the extra week of waiting, but I have to say, you know, Tim dying, the way it was presented on page, I was really convinced that he, there was no way he's actually going to die. I, oh, I honestly felt as if he dusted. No, 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 no. I honestly thought to myself, <laughs> why would we kill Tim? I mean, like specifically because of this. Okay. Tynan has gone on record and said that Tim is his favorite Robin. So why would he want to kill his favorite Robin and not be able to use him as a character in his own stories? It's, it it's it the Supergirl effect because Supergirl was brought up like her character was boosted up and uh, inflated. No, that's not the right word. But it was made more prominent right before Crisis and then she was killed off. So we, we were all happy about how his character was changing for the better and then they killed him off. That's what I was thinking happened. Yeah, I just don't think it was actually possible for them to do it. I mean, like, the way it was done, I mean, on page, I kept thinking to myself, Maybe he is utilizing the same alien technology or something like that. I thought it was weird that he was holding his bull staff when he, you know, supposedly blew up or whatever happened because it looked like he was being engulfed in some sort of explosion. It looked like he was pushing a button or something to like kill off the drones or something. And I, I thought what was happening was it was going to be explained. And that's why the alien technology was mentioned in the first place was because that was the way out of him dying. He realized when he was, you know, diving into their records and 
the the drones and and you know the generals files and stuff like that he found out about the alien technology and that's what transported that's what i was convinced that the alien technology was mentioned specifically for was so that there was an out for tim to still there was an out for tim to still exist um but then it wasn't the case it turns out you know they explained it at the end of the issue it's mr oz now if you haven't really been paying attention mr oz is this mysterious character who's been popping up similar no not really similar but in the same vein as what uh, the character Pandora was doing at the beginning of the new 52, where if you remember at the beginning of the new 52, there was this character named Pandora. She was a character who had like a, like a red hood that she constantly wore. And she was in every single number one (laughs) that happened during the new 52. Pointless. Yeah, it was completely pointless. And it ended up leading into a mini series and a storyline or whatever. And she gets shot. But the whole idea was that that's, that's kind of what's been going on. But Mr. Oz has been a character that's kind of been dealt specifically with the Superman stuff uh, and explaining the two different Supermans. I'm getting like, I don't want to go in too much in depth in this because this isn't, the DC Universe what? podcast, but it should be. But basically, there's this character named Mister Oz who has, uh, who has randomly appeared and has been telling Superman that he has known Superman all this time. He's kind of the explanation as to how there are two Superman, even though most people would assume that has something to do with convergence. But then we also know that Mister Oz was relevant in the DC Universe Rebirth uh, one shot back in May. So clearly, Mr. Oz, I feel as if this is some sort of continuance as or going into uh, Watchmen, possibly Ozymandias. Well, he just stole another guy in Action Comics, too, which is kind of relevant. Stole? He's got a, well, you know, he steals 10 here. He just stole oh, Doomsday okay. in the same way. So I'm assuming somewhere next to Tim's cage is Doomsday oh, Cage. Gosh. Probably. There's going to be like a fun little yeah. raft. I mean, there's definitely was, something going on, but I mean, like if you just read the Batman comics, you're not going to know who this character is. Sure. Uh, it, it, he's not referenced by name in the entire, you know, couple pages that this takes place on. So like, you don't know who he is. You're just led to believe who is this? You start investigating, you'll find out that he's involved in other books. Um, I didn't know about the fact that he just did the same thing with doomsday because I haven't read action comics yet, but um obviously something that is going on that is more relevant to the DC universe as a whole and this character. And now Tim Drake is part of that. Do I think that Tim's not going to be in the book for a while? Yes, I do. I don't think he's going to be around. Um, I'm not saying he's going to be gone forever, but I think that he's definitely gone for at least through December uh, at the very Mm -hmm. least, because I feel like there's a lot of things that they could do with Tim not being around. There can be conflict between Batman and spoiler there can be um, just you know conflict amongst the team, and, or not conflict, but grief amongst the team because he's gone. They can show some effect, but then have him return. I think it's smart to actually have it so that we're not, as the reader, thinking he's gone for months, only to bring him back shortly thereafter. Because I honestly don't feel like he's going to be gone for that long. I, I think it's going to be a complete change in character for him, though. This is a private pet theory, um, but I think that what uh, and I think this is Osmondeus. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Old Adrian's up to his old tricks again. Um, I, I'm pretty sure he's putting together a new team of Watchmen. And I think Tim's going to be one of them. And I think Doomsday is going to be one of them. I think what he's doing is he's stealing characters from out the DC universe, and he's going to make 
because remember we made a, a couple of jokes of well, how are you going to do all the Watchmen? Aren't they all dead? Yeah, you know. Um, I think that you're going to see him grab Tim and Doomsday. The um, spoiler alert for something that's only speculation. The other big one is that it looks like Ray Palmer is about to disappear too. The Adam. Um, I think he's putting together a new team of Watchmen, and I think Tim's going to be a part of that team. And I think that if they're going to be serious about this Watchmen being part of the DC universe, then I think we could see a fundamental shift of Tim's character here onto something completely different. So this, I think we could look back at this in a, in a couple of years as this is the death of Tim Drake in the Bat family, like we think of him. Can I ask a follow-up question to that before I give my opinions on this? Sure. How... Um, so th- that's an interesting theory. I love it. But how would you, number one, make Tim, you know, even and even if you think Doomsday, follow Oz here, Ozymandias. And then how would you get Tim to be on a team with Doomsday? I mean, is he going to be doing it willingly? Like, how, how do you envision this team working out and who's in control? Are they under some sort of control? Well, I think that if have you... you- yeah, think about it. the classic Watchmen team. They didn't really get along that well. You know, they were there for a common goal, not because they liked each other. I mean, one of the worst parts of this is, of course, the 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 the, the underlying problems with the comedian and the, you know the rape of Silk Spec, Spectra, and the other things that came along with it. Hooded Justice, who had a big problem with other members. The the, the Watchmen teams weren't like the Justice League. They weren't friends. They were united for a common cause. And I think that, I think the cause that, and I'm not sure that I'm right in this, but I think the cause that could be brought to the table is there's all these different universes in flux. Uh, we need a group to watch over all of them. Um, and I think that if you put it like that, I think Tim would do it. I think he would do it out of him being, you know, trying to do it for the, for the better good. So I think that that could be the kind of similar Watchmen team we're putting together. Almost, um, like the Doris Corns Goodwin, Abraham Lincoln book, you know, this is a team of rivals, uh, mm. but they're getting together to do something that has to be done. We also have to point out that just Pure speculation, but here, here's, here's what kind of also plays into that. Uh, the last issue of Batman beyond, which came out, we'll, we'll actually cover it in a minute here. Mm-hmm. The last issue of Batman beyond came out and the issue actually has Tim, giving the mantle of Batman back to Terry McGinnis so that Terry McGinnis is, you know, he'll be Batman in the new Batman beyond series. That's launching in either this month or next month. I can't remember which one, but Tim just walks off into the sunset and is never seen again. Literally. Yeah. So it kind of like wraps up him being involved in that future storyline too, because he just, he says he's going to go and he's done. So who knows? I don't know that that necessarily plays into it, but I mean, it might have something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that's an interesting theory. I guess I would disagree with you a little bit about the Watchmen not necessarily getting along. I, I think, you know, the comedian, obviously, people, he was sort of a, an explosion ready to happen. And I think that he, while he did get along with um, Sally Jupiter, I think, <laughs> in a weird and bad way, I think that um, for the most part, the rest of the team seemed to have gotten along. But uh, that's just my opinion. But it's just weird to think about, you know, this guy who's clearly not on the up and up having Tim, who clearly is, you know, one of you know, someone that you would call something big. Hero. I, the only way this works in that theory is if something major happened. I don't honestly think it's going to be just, hey, Tim, you have no powers. 
I've brought you here because I think you're a valued member of society mm-hmm. and I need you to watch the universes because honestly, I don't think that Tim's going to really go for that. I think more police the universes than why. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. But like, I feel like there'd have to be some sort of much larger th- thing, at, you know, thing to be going on. Like, and that it's entirely possible. I mean, they could set up some sort of crazy crisis or something else, some other sort of event that happens that, you know, in causes Tim to just decide he has to step up and do this. But mm-hmm. if the other, one of the other characters is doomsday, how do you convince Doomsday to go go along with yeah. it? That's the thing. So yeah. there there has to be more to this than you know. I'm just randomly putting together a team, and you're going to be my team now. So yeah, because of all the the screw ups and continuity. Because doesn't he say something to Tim in this? Like you were noticing all the weirdness, or you were noticing what you weren't supposed to notice. Yeah, and he also said that he was too connected to everything, huh. which huh. to me implies that like. Outside of the Bat family, the only other thing that he was really connected to was Teen Titans, which he's not. Also, in Teen Titans, they also dealt with his death. So this isn't like a one-and-done situation. Like, he died in all of the books, and he's not in the books anymore. Like, or at least, you know, to everyone, he, he, yeah, he's, yeah. he's dead. He's dead. Hmm. So. I will say in regards to his death, you know, as I'm looking at this panel where he's like it seems like I can see his ribs actually and there's blood and such coming off um, now I'm coming right you know on my own show this is going to be as bad as when I start mentioning Marvel I'm going to mention my show over and over again mm-hmm. but on my own show I recently did uh, Contagion and this really weird thing happened where Tim obviously he got sick in Contagion if you remember if you haven't read he got um, what was it called the clinch and uh at one point they end an issue with alfred saying to dick grayson we lost him and that was the end of an issue and then i was like what is going on and then the next issue alfred's like gotcha and i'm still like i can't wrap my mind around whose sick idea that was and why alfred would do that but i'm just thinking to myself here's another gotcha moment you know i'm looking at this page but at least you didn't have to wait you know to the next issue until the next issue. yeah i'm looking at the emotions built on people and and i'm just thinking about what's it going to be like when he gets back and I feel like we've played this game a little too often. I mean, I think about Damien and how like emotionally wrecked I was. But then he came back, and I almost wonder, would it be better? You guys, I know what you guys are going to say. But would it be better if he had actually died? And he's not uh, coming back. No. I just, no. yeah, I knew, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> um, that's why I said I know. So I want Tim Drake to die. No. <laughs> no. Well, I don't know. I mean, they did. They. I think they've... they've um, bettered his character right from the new 52 and i thought what an impact he's doing uh, what he loved to a certain extent it's tragic because he was ready to give it up but he saved all these people but what us what you know let him rest in peace but no he's still alive and all these people are going to be super sad and he's going to come back i'm sure there's going to be a big battle and the batman family is going to break up and it's going to be terrible and we're going to be awful it's that's what i'm expecting well, let's just remember that every time somebody dies, it doesn't always turn out exactly like that. Are you sure? I mean, look at Stephanie Brown. She died and she came back. And I mean, other than Tim just That's kind of being like. continuity. Not anymore. No, give me a break. Do you think you remember she was beat up by Black Mask in War Games? I don't. I think that we will soon. I, I, I think that 
seriously, no, I think that whatever is going on with these people being taken from all these major books, Doomsday, Ray Palmer, you know, now Tim Drake, I don't think we're going to get the conclusion in detective or action. I think that there's going to be some mega yeah, event yeah. on it. God knows what they'll call it. And it'll be, you know, it's going to be a four. It's not going to happen right away. Like we already have yeah, a Justice like League versus Suicide Squad thing yeah. coming in, in December and January. It won't happen yet until next year at the very earliest. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where we'll get. I think that, I don't know, but there's something tells me that they're going to try to put this continuity to bed once and for all. I think they realize they may have cocked it up a little bit. Um, oh, gosh. And I think that you're going to see, maybe that's why, I don't I, mean, I don't know, but I think there's something there with these different characters from these different books and the overall continuity and them fixing it and relaying it out and moving forward with it. And I just don't know when it's going to happen, but it's there's got to be something going on with them. Because we still have like the three Jokers thing that no one's even touched on. Yeah. Since they dropped that on us on Rebirth. And that was, you know, months away now. And, and it's not even any of the solicitations going forward they're even going to touch it. So there's got to be something coming that's going to reconcile three different Jokers, these guys being pulled out of time, all these different versions of continuity. They've got to be planning. And, you know, I hate to say it, but Dustin, you're probably right. They're probably slammed the word crisis on it, you know, um, absolute crisis or whatever they're going to call it. And uh, this is what we'll get. I've, it, I feel like it's something. I, I mean, I, I don't know what it's going to be, but I, it's going to be some sort of major event because, like you said, yeah. the, the three Joker thing is a big thing that basically it just, just left it sitting there. And, and everyone just kept thinking, okay, we're going to see this miniseries announced, you know, come September, come October. And then we just kind of forgot about it. And now we have solicitations, you know, through November. We'll have December in a couple of days. And no. still nothing and we know that there's you know an event coming up if there was going to be a joker mini series we would have already heard about it for december at least so it's not happening in december um i don't see it happening anytime soon i feel like that is a big glaring red flag that something is off and that something will be rectified going forward this Mr. Oz is clearly the character to watch if you are wanting to know how it's going to get rectified but it is going to be this major thing. And the Joker thing is probably going to play out in its own little mini series as part of the event, similar to the way. Yeah. Flash the had yeah. yeah. yeah Let's just forget about him. And erase Joker from continuity. I know that one person in the world that would make really, really happy. Yeah. It'd be She's me. I would plans. like run around the world. I would streak the world. And like, I would <laughs> wave around a flag. <laughs> okay. Happier than I thought you'd be. Yeah, a lot happier. Okay, so Detective Comics, I'm going to give a total of four out of five. Yeah, four out of five. It's good. Four out of five. And over on the website, Ian gave it four and a half. So that's going to give Detective Comics number 940 a total of four out of five batterings. That is all of our in-depth reviews. Let's jump over to the site for Greater Gotham. Uh, the first week we have is uh, September 7th. Uh, main TBU books, Batman Beyond, number 16. The issue wraps up the Spellbinder plot. The end is the setup of Terry McGinnis returning to Gotham City of, as the future Batman. Uh, this was reviewed by Jim. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Neutral. Uh, thumbs up. Nightwing number four is Raptor and Nightwing become more acquainted with each other. They are exposed in freeing slaves from the parliament headquarters, which prompts the leader of the parliament 
or Raider to reveal a creature form. This was reviewed by David. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Uh, thumbs down. I just, I don't know. I don't like, I don't like where Nightwing is going right now. It's lost the, the oomph that it had in the beginning. I'm going to give it, really it a neutral. Really right? Yeah. Neutral for me. Harley Quinn number three. Harley teams with Poison Ivy to deal with alien zombie people after the parents of the alien who was made into hot dogs come down to Earth to retrieve all of their son's remains, killing anyone who has ate any of his bits. This is viewed by David. Whoa. David. Yeah. Yep. Did you come up with that on your own? No, it's so good. <laughs> That's exactly. So, yes, okay. yes. This was viewed by David. He gave it five out of five. Let me give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. It's so good. It's so I mean, good. how often are you going to read a book about wieners? I'm going to give it a neutral. But I got him. You nope. killed him. Are you, are you okay? Yeah. Yeah. Small heart attacks. That's all. <laughs> uh, uh, secondary t- uh, as far as secondary TBU books there were none main DC Universe books Justice League number 4 as the heroes are spread thin against the kindred Cyborg makes his discovery that may turn the battle in their favor this was viewed by Paul he gave it 2 out of 5 I'm going to give this one a thumbs down neutral neutral alright and then uh, secondary DC Universe books Green Arrow number 6 while Black Canary is absent from the issue a new version of Clock King is introduced uh, over in Superman number six, as Superman concludes his battle with the Eradicator on Batman's Lunar Batcave, uh, Lois assists in a Hellbat suit. At the end of the issue, Batman is introduced to Superman's son. And then we had Cyborg Rebirth number one. Batman makes a brief cameo alongside the Justice League during a battle. Uh, moving on to September 14th, main TBU books include Batgirl and the Birds of Prey number two. Batgirl, Black Canary, Huntress, and their allies face mobsters, bombs, and trolling as they race trolling. together for justice. This was reviewed by Ian. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Ooh, clean sweep. Red Hood and the Outlaws number two. After revealing his true intentions against Black Mask, Red Hood and Artemis decide to team up against the villain to recover the stolen train car, which holds the clone of Superman. This was reviewed by Bill. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to also give this one a thumbs up. Go get him, Scott Lobdell. Thumbs up. Oh, oh, neutral. Gotham Academy, second semester, number one. Olive Silverlock spends a lonely holiday break in the snowy halls of spooky Gotham Academy. An unexpected comrade encourages Olive to flirt with danger. This is reviewed by Jerry. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Mm, thumbs up. Secondary TBU books, Batman 66 meets Steed and Mrs. Peel number three, which includes digital chapters number five through six. The dynamic duo, Steed and Mrs. Peel are on the prowl for the master of the Cybernauts. Watch them battle the metal monsters, marvel at their deductive powers, and laugh at their killer bee dance. This was reviewed by Jerry. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 Lumberjanes Gotham Academy number four. The Lumberjanes Gotham Academy crews try to escape their country club prison. Can Olive persuade Luis to release them? Can Pomeline keep her cool? How many straws can Colton fit up his nose? <laughs> reviewed by Jerry. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Uh, yeah, neutral. Main DC Universe books. Teen Titans number 24. The issue provides remembrances for the deceased Red Robin as a result of his death the team decide to go their separate ways unknowingly, leaving Damian Wayne to step in to the new Teen Titans team. This is reviewed by Jim. He gave it five out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Neutral. Thumbs up. Suicide Squad number two. The team regroups after the spacecraft crash, and one of the team meets their end as General Zod is revealed to be the one they are dealing with. This is reviewed by Corbin. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Uh, uh, Thumbs up. 
Neutral. All right. And then secondary DC Universe books, Action Comics number 963, Maggie Sawyer, who has now returned <gasps> to her original roots oh. in Metropolis, appears, is involved with the police aspects of the story. Batman lends a helping hand with Clark's lie detector test. Uh, DC Comics Bombshells number 17, which included digital chapters 49 through 51. Batwoman discovers her part of her Jewish heritage from Miriam, a young refugee. Zatanna deals with her two friends, John and Raven. But while John has worked to redeem himself, Raven was a mask for Joker's daughter, leading a Nazi attack. The real Raven, enslaved by Joker's daughter, attacks, but is disenchanted by Miriam, who discovers her powers as Miri Marvel. And with the powers of Shazam together, Miri, Zatanna and Raven take the refugees and heroes to a new Haven. Uh, Earth two society. Number 16 is the final battle with the ultra humanite comes to an end. Dick Grayson's Batman, his son and Huntress are all involved in the final showdown in which everyone seems to disappear in justice. Gods among us. Number 17, which includes digital chapters. Number 33 through 34, the insurgency's capture of cyborg results in them recovering video footage of Superman's murdering of the group of jokers before they can show the world. However, Raven arrives and creates a worldwide blackout to stop them. Uh, new Superman number three, as the new Superman reveals his existence to the world, he also announces the Justice League of China, which includes China's Batman. Batman himself makes a cameo as he watches the announcement from the Watchtower. And then over in Superwoman number two, Maggie Sawyer is featured and briefly mentions Batwoman. <gasps> then, How does she mention her? Uh, just basically that she understands that there are sacrifices that need to be made by people in masks. Come on, let, let's let's get this show on the road. We know what we're looking for here. Yeah. Date book. All right. So then uh, as far as trades and hardcovers came out in the last two weeks, we have Batman 66 meets the man from Uncle Hardcover, Batman Arkham Poison Ivy trade paperback, Batman Volume 9 Bloom trade paperback, Poison Ivy Cycle of Life and Death trade paperback, Robin Son of Batman Volume 2 Dawn of Demons trade paperback, Harley Quinn Volume 5 The Joker's Last Laugh hardcover, Titans Hunt trade paperback, and Dark Knight 3, The Master Race, D- Director's Cut, book number one. So those that is what has come out in the past two weeks. Now we're going to jump straight over into our bat signal, and we have some listener comments. The first one comes from Charles. Great show. I'm newer to the Batman comics and know very little. There's so many Robins. I've jumped into DC now. I'm reading the current issues and some of the new 52. Supergirl, Catwoman, Batman, and Harley Quinn. But a lot of the time, I'm lost. For example, what the heck is the Oracle? I'm assuming he's like the Watcher in Marvel Comics. Your show is a huge help in understanding what's really going on in terms of history, as well as just learning the characters in general. Well, thank you, Charles, for the comments. Um, I'm going to defer the question of who is Oracle <laughs> to our backhole to Oracle host, Stella. <laughs> Stella, take it away. Yeah, Charles, uh, you have come to the right place to ask this question. So Oracle, first of all, uh, is a female. And unlike the Watcher, Oracle actually does uh, 
interact with people because you know how the watcher for Marvel, people who don't know Marvel, can sort of just stand back and watch, but it's not supposed to engage. So Oracle engages. So Oracle is actually Barbara Gordon. So Barbara Gordon, if you may know, uh, was Batgirl, kind of the technically the second Batgirl, if you count, you know, Bet Kane. Uh, but then she was shot by the Joker, and she survived this. She has horrible nightmares, uh, but she was paralyzed. And she just she didn't want to let that get her down. And uh, two amazing writers took her, Kim Yale and John Ostrander, and decided to give her new purpose in life instead of sort of this wreck of a human being that she was at the end of The Killing Joke. So she became Oracle, and... Uh, Basically, what she does is she has no superpower, so she's just a human, but she uses uh, her intelligence, which is very high, and her abilities with the computer and things like that to broker uh, and give information to different heroes. It started off small. She was only working with the Suicide Squad. No one really knew who she was. And then she started to go out. She worked with Firestorm, uh, Hawk and Dove, Manhunter. And then slowly but surely, in the 90s, she started to work with uh, the Bat family. And it just sort of exploded all over the place. (laughs) And she's basically connected to the DC universe, the heroic side of it. Uh, for example, in Gotham Central, which I highly recommend, Renee Montoya is working on a case and is looking up, uh, I think, a perp. And uh, she, there, you know, there are different databases that she could go to. And she turns to her partner and says, "Christmas, what is Oracle?" And he's like, "I don't know. It's you know, just a database." And so she actually uses it, and of course, it's Oracle, and uh, she's able to help her out without you know anyone really knowing who she is. So it's great because she's got you know her fingers really in in all these places, and now more people know that Barbara Gordon and Oracle are the same, but only a select few. And uh, yeah, I think she really is. Uh, Great character and, and someone who's certainly a linchpin of the DC universe and kind of like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Everything goes back to Barbara Gordon, I think, six degrees of Oracle now. So hopefully that answered your question. Is that a good description of Oracle? Yes. Okay. <laughs> in in less than five minutes. That was good. Uh, yeah. So moving on to our next comment, it comes from Jerry. The Snickers ad is a distraction. I can see that it might not have been intended as sexist, but good grief with all the gender issues DC and comics in general has is just a bad idea. And it appears to be a full-page native ad looking just like content. Like Dustin said, they probably made a ton of money for this, so if the advertiser is happy, we are likely to see more of this kind of thing. Liked hearing your comments on the mistreatment of Prez. Prez was a smart and interesting comic book and unique in the list of DC's comics. On the positive side, the Arthur... The author, Mark Russell, is doing similarly culturally relevant work on Flintstones. I know I keep bringing up the Flintstones, <laughs> which isn't a Batman title. I'm not ashamed, nor should you be. As far as Dustin being Batman, whenever I got it, oh no, whenever I got an email from him via the Batman Universe email address, <laughs> it appears in my inbox is coming from quote unquote Batman. That's nice. I love, <laughs> I love getting email from Batman. Totally works for me. It makes my kids jealous. I should tweak it so that mine is like from Oracle. Um, love the podcast as usual, particularly the discussion about Damien, whom I love as Robin. Yes. Nice Pulp Fiction reference, Ed, like Kane from Kung Fu. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate all those nice comments. Um, and mine doesn't do that because I've renamed you in my address book as Dustin. So now it's <laughs> Dustin. That's That's, funny. I don't see. The funny thing is, if it actually pops up by default that it's coming from Batman, I have never put that in. And if I did, it must have been like ages ago, because I don't, I don't even know where I would have been able to put that in. Like when you set up like a Yahoo address, I, I distinctly remember this for a fact. When I started, what's your name? When I started on the web, you know, when I started the the Batman Universe podcast in January of 2008, I started it. I opened up an email that was the Batman Universe at yahoo.com, and I made the name Bruce Wayne as the name. Like that's what I did. I I, I remember that for sure. But what's interesting about that is like the emails aren't through Yahoo anymore. They're through the websites, so they don't really give you the option of like putting in the name. Like on my phone, it should it says the the emails are coming from the Batman universe, maybe, but that must just be something. It doesn't matter. It I appreciate the fact that I'm you know people think that I'm Batman. It's a nice comment, so I'll leave it at that. There we go. All right. So our next comment comes from Ian. I have to say, oops. Oh no, that's right. I have to say I love the discussion on Damien. Yay! Because I think Ed. What? Ed and Dustin are absolutely right. Morrison has said that Damien was destined to die from his creation. But I also love what Stella said about how it wasn't just Tomasi and Gleason who brought Damien to our hearts. For me, it was Steph and Brian Q. Miller and Paul Dini and Dustin Nguyen with Colin, who humanized his murdering brat into a kid trying desperately to be righteous. Wow, what a description. With regards to Batman number five, I have to say, even though I really enjoyed Tom King's work and he was a pleasure to meet at Baltimore Comic-Con, he said that Dan DiDio told him he should have turned Dick's return to Gotham in Grayson number 12 into four issues, which is just another silly thing DiDio has said. Smiley face. I'm a bit, um, let's say, skeptical of yet another Batman Dies story. Ugh. Nightfall, RIP, Super Heavy, and now I am Gotham slash Suicide. I'm starting to see some thematic things going on in King's work. The idea of Batman thinking about the future. Whereas Nightfall was a response to the darker and edgier surge of the 90s. Extreme! Trying to prove that a man who re- <laughs> trying to prove that a man who refused to kill, who was firmly on the side of good, was the true hero of Gotham, America slash urban life. And R.I.P. was trying to show that the human spirit can transcend anything. To Snyder's communitarian, ethni- ethni- communitarian ethic of inspiration... All of these quote-unquote death of Batman stories have had deeper thematic preoccupations. I'm just a bit weary of it at this point. I could also probably add a shadow of this story in Bruce Wayne Murderer, which showed what happened when we go too far into a symbol and refuse to make connections to our families. But I've probably said too much already. Smiley face. Well, I think you're right about us being right about Damien. That makes a lot of sense. And I think he's right about Tom King stuff too. Um, makes some interesting stuff here on on the relationship with the Nightfall and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I do like King's work, but um, I think he's right. See, the thing is, I don't necessarily know we're heading in a direction where Batman's going to die. But God, I hope not again. Right? I I honestly don't uh, feel like that's the case. I feel like there's they're trying. To, he's trying to show that there are limitations to what Batman can accomplish, but I don't think that shows that. I don't. I don't think we're going in the direction that he's going to die. Well, um, Gotham girl did say that was that you know that she kills him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but didn't didn't you and I Ed both agree that she's probably just off her rails? Yes, but don't I mean, you want to see her get together with Duke? But I think that that's I think Tom King is playing 
this is where I, I really agree with with Ian here. I think I don't think they will kill Batman, and I and I think that we're kind of on the right track there. But I think he's trying to convince us he's going to kill Batman. You know what I'm saying? Like heavy foreshadowing that someone from the future is telling us about that she is in fact the person that killed him. Um, talking about legacy and can Batman go forever? Really, the same thing Snyder played with with the idea of the clones. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he wants us to believe he's going to kill Batman. I don't think he is, obviously. And even if by some reason he did, he'd be back in oh, I don't know, six months. But I mean, <laughs> I think that he wants us to believe he's going to kill him. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, this is, was one of my questions that I asked at the end of Batman number one, because he was like ready to give up his life on that airplane. And I said, oh, gosh, is this too soon? Are we doing this again? So I, this is already a concern that I've been considering. All right. And then our next comment comes from John. After listening to your discussion about the Snickers ad, I have a hard time taking any of you seriously. First of all, have any of you ever seen any of these commercials before? Do you think that they are implying Danny Trejo is PMSing? Or do you not think that Wonder Woman is a big enough star in the DC Universe to deserve to star in the ad? Since you haven't watched any TV in the last few years, I'll point out that it is normally the star that is transformed by the candy. Second, the ad seems to be playing off the Batman v Superman movie. Starts off with Batman and Superman fighting Doomsday, then Wonder Woman comes in to turn the tide. Hopefully the adver- hopefully the advertisers won't hear much of this kind of criticism and stop investing in DC Comics and female superheroes. Well, all right, John. Well, here here's the thing. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion and we respect that. Um I don't I don't agree with your statements whatsoever. I don't think that the ad is depicting that Wonder Woman is turning the tide by getting a Snickers bar in any way, shape, or form. Um, I also don't feel, and I and I have no problem saying I do watch plenty of television. I have seen ads. Denny Dreho turned into a woman as well. Um, also, there's a current one going on where William Defoe turns into Marilyn Monroe. Um, and actually thinking about some of these ads, and I know that those aren't the only ones because there are other ones where, you know, it's somebody and they turn into a man as well. But thinking about some of the more recent ones and the one that initially started, which is the Danny Trejo one, which is the one you're talking about, that uh, it actually comes across as even more sexist in some ways because it's making the females into somebody else, but they are a female once they eat the Snickers bar, which is very strange. Um, So, I'm not I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, that's let, let's put it this way. The com the, the, the DC comics is a good is is not going to lose advertising money from us complaining about the Snickers ad. Our main problem with it was the fact that it just just distracts from the comic itself because it's an ad that's implanted into the issue and in some cases actually appears as if it's supposed to be as part of the actual comic. Um I believe it's sexist. Uh, I know some of my co-hosts believe that it's sexist. So, I mean, like everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but I don't think in any way, shape or form us saying that Wonder Woman shouldn't be portrayed in this way is saying that we don't support female superheroes or that DC doesn't deserve advertising dollars. A couple things. I don't take myself seriously. So don't worry. I don't mind that you don't take me seriously either. That's totally fine. Um, I've never I, listen. I cut the cord on cable like three or four years ago. I don't really see. I watch everything off like Netflix. I honestly haven't probably seen these commercials. Or if I have, I wasn't paying attention to them. Um, so I really have no idea what you guys are talking about there. But as far as do not think she can carry the the commercial. I mean, we were the ones that were saying it should have been 
her fighting and as a part of the major character, not as the kind of proverbial part at the end. So, yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, I, I could get where you would think we'd be over the top on. And again, that's your opinion for sure. Um, but I certainly think they could have went a, a more entertaining route. And I don't think we have enough sway to change the Snickers conglomerate's mind on advertising dollars. Uh, and if we do have that type of sway that we can move advertising dollars around, I would urge Snickers to invest on advertising on the Batman yes. universe. Cause uh, yeah, we I, can was use gonna, it. I was going to double down on that. Steve, and say, <laughs> yes. If we, yes. the Batman universe <laughs> podcast has the ability to sway advertising corporations to, you know, give or not give their donate, their, you know, their, their advertising money to a, a major company company like DC comics, then by all means, we, got we a need place to be seeing them. a lot more donations coming in on the website because we got, we got a place for Snickers right here. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can come up with your, our very own Batman universe Snicker ads if that's what Snickers wants. So. And we'll totally sell out. Like we will, we're waiting to sell out to yeah. be honest with you. You know, I mean, if hey, you, the Batman universe comic podcast sponsored by Snickers, doesn't have a nice ring to it. We're, we're ready to sell out right now. Oh so my gosh. let us do it. And I will say that I didn't even know this this ad existed um, until a friend of mine brought it to my attention, and the friend was Shag Matthews. And if you don't know who he is, like his That's twice we've had to hear about this I know, guy. This podcast. His alternate ID is the irredeemable Shag because, like, that's sort of his gimmick. And one of his like his shtick is that whenever there's a woman, like he goes, "She's hot," and he is the one. Someone who says she's hot just like unequivocally um, brought it up. To you know, to me and said, don't you feel like that's really sexist? So coming, you know, that's kind of shocking to me. Um, but obviously, I mean, you know, everyone views things and has different interpretations of them. Um, obviously, I just feel like, if, and you know, from a comic standpoint, I just didn't think it makes sense because Doomsday is not associated with Wonder Woman. I think Ed brought up the fact, like, why couldn't it have been Cheetah? Yeah, like yeah. someone from her rogues gallery. And then I think, you know, the problem would have, been a little less than it or the criticism and the the controversy and it's not just us either i mean the internet kind of exploded from it so yeah, yeah it definitely wasn't just us i mean there was plenty of people talking about it online um the biggest thing in my mind is there's no reason that wonder woman can't be featured in an ad by all means the trinity can sell product as much as they as much as they want oh, yeah. uh, this isn't this isn't like dc's just started to do this um, who can remember the hostess strips back in you know the 80s yeah. and 70s that featured our favorite superheroes. Um, so, I mean, like, it's not something new. It's just we haven't really seen it that much recently. So it's something where it's like, oh, okay. And I, my biggest thing is there was – to me, it just doesn't make any sense that you take Doomsday and turn it into Wonder Woman. You could have had Wonder Woman fighting alongside Batman and having Superman be the one who turns from Doomsday to – to Superman to have one woman turn from doomsday into herself. That's the disconnect for me. It just, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but I guess if you're looking at the literal sense of Danny Trejo turning into Marsha Brady, I, I guess sure. That doesn't make sense either. So sure. Oh yeah. Marsha. Who is Danny yeah. Trejo? Danny Trejo, the machete guy. Machete. Machete. Oh, okay. That did. All right. Because you guys keep saying his name, and I'm like, what yeah, are you he was, he was, about? yeah, he was the one who was in the very first Snickers ad, and it was, it was a, it was a Brady Bunch spoof, where Marsha was talking to her parents, and it was Danny Trejo complaining about something, and then Steve, uh, what's his face, Buscemi, yeah. was uh, Jan at the top of the stairs. Ah, uh, okay. 
That was the first ad, and that was like a Super Bowl commercial, like two years ago or something like that. It was a big, it was one, it was like the beginning of these pushes, and they've done tons of them. Like I said, it's not just every single one of them is some grumpy man that turns into a woman. There, but thinking about it, that's the majority of the way they're portrayed. But there are other versions of the same, same idea where somebody is grumpy and then turns into somebody less grumpy. I actually think there was actually a Joker one. But it was a foreign. It was, I think, it was like in Argentina or something. It was a Snickers commercial that featured Joker. And oh, it was like Joker. the Joker. I like get my hands on a copy of the Argentinian Snickers Joker commercial. Oh, I, I can I can help you out with that because that all, all of a sudden sounds me, really see interesting. After, see, see me afterwards. See me afterwards. <laughs> anyway, all right. So our last comment comes from a a different Ian. Yeah, he likes to call himself the other Ian sometimes. Thanks for ooh, thanks again for the great podcast. I look forward to each episode. Thanks for sharing your quote unquote origin stories of how you got into comics. Started reading Batman during the A Lonely Place of Dying story arc. I fell away from collecting and reading soon after uh, starting high school in 1992. I just recently came back to reading Batman titles, mostly due to the Arkham video games. I know that Ed and Stella play video games because of uh, BTO's The Last of Us podcast. I recall... (laughs) Checks on the mail, Ian! Uh, I recall Dustin saying... Something about playing Batman Arkham Knight last year. What about Ed and Stella? I really like the way the charters were written in those games, especially Barbara. What are the TBU team's thoughts on how their charters were portrayed? I would also like to support the website, but I'm not a PayPal user. Are there any other ways to contribute? Thanks again, the other Ian. So I'm I'm pretty sure charters was autocorrected from characters. characters. Oh, you think so? I, was, I wondered if he meant like charter member. I'm pretty sure it's characters because it was okay. the, the, but I'm sure it's an autocorrect situation because looking at it, it just, it makes more sense with characters. Um, I, I have no problem admitting I don't have a lot of time to play video games. I had so much more time before my kids came along and I have like no time whatsoever. I, the last game that I finished 100% was Lego Batman three, which came out in the end of 2014. Really? So that was two years ago. Um, and that was just because I played it and my son watched me because he was still too young to un- grasp the concept of how to actually play, but he loved watching me play. So th- that's the last game I actually played all the way through. I, uh, we, we, we have, I have a PlayStation 4. We do play. We do have games. My son now plays video games himself, a lot of the Lego games. Um, Arkham Knight, I, I played. I never, I never got even probably halfway through it because I just don't have the time to, to do that. Actually, no, I take that back. We did get all the way through. We just didn't finish the, the Riddler, the riddles at the end. We, oh, we there's so many the, of them. Yeah. There's, there's just too many of them. Um, especially some of the time stuff. It, it just, I don't Real have stuff. the patience, yeah. but, um, we did finish the storyline for that. We just didn't, we just didn't go and finish it 100%. Um, but like outside of that, like, as far as the Arkham games, I thought the characters were written pretty well. I mean, there, there's a couple differences with some of the characters that I wasn't a huge fan of, but I think overall, I think the story itself was enjoyable, especially when you look at it from like a out of continuity Elseworlds type story. I think it, it does very well. Yeah, I've played them all. Um, I've got a kind of a video game family here. Everyone plays their own game. Uh, like my daughter plays Overwatch and my wife plays the Assassin's Creed. So oh. we all play, we all play some video games around the house. Um, the characters were pretty good. There was this kind of, um, there was a couple stuff with Barbara in Arkham Knight. Remember what I'm talking about, Dustin? 
the um the killing joke flashbacks and yeah. stuff like that yeah. that I wasn't great and there was the fake suicide one shot when I thought that I thought was terrible of course it turned out that that wasn't what really happened it was scarecrow gas but um I think overall like super, yeah exactly <laughs> I know scarecrow gas trope again um I would say overall the characters are pretty solid and and so much of the storylines are close like what you see with uh, Red Hood and the last Arkham one like it's it, again it's not exactly like what what happened um but it's it's close enough where it's still the same batman story um i think they're good they're fun to play um i did think it was interesting that in in the arkhamverse uh barbara and tim are it's a little weird yeah yeah um and i, I think we talked it, about that last year i think we did when that happened that. that was the one part of the characters that i kind of had like an eyebrow raised like no nah, it's not that's not that's not right you know <laughs> Um, like I said, it'd no, have been great. I think what you're meaning to say is that's wrong. Yeah, that's wrong. <laughs> like, yeah, if, if you'd had a, if you had Stephanie as Batgirl, then that would have been fine. Um, and her and Tim, but Tim and Barbara just doesn't that. But other than that, um, you know, I, I thought the characters were pretty good for for a video game. There's a lot of good character moments in there, um, and they've inspired some some spinoff uh, comics. The Arkham and Hinge stuff was actually pretty entertaining. So. Uh, yeah, I think they were worthy additions to the Batman universe. I personally have played Batman Arkham Asylum and Batman Arkham City, but I have not played Arkham Origin, nor have I played Arkham Knight. Uh, I think I'm, I am i don't feel compelled to play either of those. Uh, I think Origin sounded interesting, but I'm also okay with just like doing the the original two and being done with it. And then Arkham Knight, um, I didn't really want to sit there and like witness a visual interpretation of the killing joke, which is why I avoided it. I did actually look, I'll have to look again, but I think around when it was coming out, I, you know, I had heard about the Tim and Babs relationship and I looked on YouTube to see, cause you know, they make like videos so, of everything so. and I couldn't find anything, but I should look again. Cause now it's been years. Um, but yeah, I think that I mean I enjoyed Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. So uh the characters I liked them. I mean for Babs, she didn't really have she was like Oracle. She was the quintessential Oracle, I think. Yeah. At least you know, and in both of those just helping out and everything. Um and trying to think i feel like they're just really well produced games quite honestly not only like the fight mechanics but um i think the storylines are really great um i mean the the scarecrow boss fight from the first one if you can think that long is i just think so great that he's like his eyes are like searching for you and you have to you know, constantly get closer to him, but you can't let him see you, and it's very spooky. And then the Rachel Ghoul fight is intense with all the the swords, and I think he like multiplies himself. Um, so I I would say that everything is I, I really like those two, but I can't really comment on the characterization of the the main people in the the latter two. Yeah, I, I honestly I think I, I have no problem admitting Arkham Origins. I didn't get it when it first came out, and then when I found out that it was it had so many bugs, I just never even got it. Mostly because it was also not a rock steady one, so I was worried that I was going to corrupt my theory of those games being so good. Yeah, um, that's why I stayed away from that. Uh, but honestly, I think between the rock steady trilogy of Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, and Arkham Knight, I think Arkham City was probably my favorite one. 
Um, Arkham Knight, I think, had great character moments with Jason Todd and Red Hood um, and even involving Deathstroke. But I think that Arkham City was just very, very, it was a very tight story that I didn't, like, it felt like it belonged. Arkham Knight, because it was a conclusion to the trilogy and it was their last one, the ending felt a little forced to me. But The ending was forced, but I did like the playability of Arkham Knight. Yeah, um, like I love being able to include the Batmobile. Yep, you know, outside of the let's include the Batmobile for half of the freaking riddles. That was a bit silly. Yeah, but, <laughs> but yeah, it was the, uh, seriously. Like, but I mean, being able to use the Batmobile that's that's awesome. Uh, I mean, there's been Batman times. Fun. There there have been times. My favorite parts of the, any of those games, specifically between Arkham City and Arkham Knight, is the fact that you can basically glide from one end of the city to the other just by grappling and gliding. And I just love doing that. Like just, and, and it looks so like well produced and the, the cityscape looks so detailed. It's awesome. I just, there's been times where I'll be sitting there and I'll just, you know, jump up to the highest point I can get to. And then just you go patrol Gotham. And you're yeah. All right. Anyway, the last comment that, or the last part of Ian's comment says uh, he wants to support the website, but he's not a PayPal user. Unfortunately, at this time, we don't have any other ways of supporting us outside of your time, um, giving time or you know sharing your skills if you don't have funds. Um, but yeah, as Ed says, gold. But we have transportation issues since we don't actually have the gold facility to house gold bars yet. That, that being said, um, that Snickers contract comes in though. We're going to, yeah, yeah, we will. We will. Um, but basically uh, right now, until we get 100% supported, that's the only way we have, we're looking into other ways, but I don't know that you'll be able to use any form of payment outside of using it through PayPal, because most places nowadays, like even if you don't have a PayPal account, you can just sign up so that you can use your credit card to pay using PayPal, but you're not actually, you know, setting up the account to be linked to anything. I don't know exactly how it works because I have a PayPal account. I'd have to find out from somebody who doesn't have one. But as of right now, the only way to contribute directly on the site is through PayPal because that's honestly the most safe and secure way for you and us. Anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are other ways I've heard of there's Amazon pay or something like that, but I don't know anything about that because I don't have it. We are looking at other ways of helping out in the future. We just need to get to that hundred percent goal. Uh, we did receive a couple more donations uh, over the last couple weeks. Um, they did come in manually. So I'm not sure if the site's still not working or if people are just not being able to get through on the site via the, you know, on a mobile site or what, uh, like I said, there was an update that came through for the plugin, so it should be working. It works on my end when I try it, but that doesn't say anything since I'm the admin of the site. So if you have tried and you can't, and it's not working, please let us know so we can try to figure out other ways. Otherwise you can send your donations directly to TBU at the through PayPal which I know you can use a credit card. You don't have to have money sitting in an account on PayPal. You can use a credit card. Uh, for now, that's the only ways. Going forward, we are looking into a Patreon account uh, after we get done with the initial drive. Um, and then we're looking possibly having some incentives uh, for the supporters through Patreon, but we have to figure out what those are going to be yet. Um, but that's some of the stuff that we're looking towards. We're also potentially looking at selling uh, t-shirts with custom images on it. That's, you know, somebody creates 
Um, and then we sell the shirts with the images and then obviously we keep the proceeds from the shirt sales. Um, and then that, that obviously supports us as well. And then you guys actually get something out of it. So there's a couple of different things we're, I'm looking at to try to figure out different ways of supporting us. But for right now, the only way we have is that PayPal link, uh, the donation area on the website. So um, for now, if you are looking to support us and you can't pay through PayPal for whatever reason, hold on to your cash for now and and uh, hope that we get 100% funded in the next month or so. And then uh, we can go from there and you know start setting up those other things. Some of them are already being in the process of getting set up. It's just a matter of getting that initial donation filled up first. So that's that. Um, so, so that's also my blurb, obviously, for donating to the sites. You can head over to the website, click on the donation area, and leave a donation for the site. Again, if you can't, for some reason there's an issue and you can't do it, contact me and let me know. Even if you do send your donation manually using our email address, tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net, please send me an email notifying me that it's not working so that I have an idea that it's not working because I, I honestly have, I haven't seen any actual donations come through on the website for over 30 days. So I'm guessing either it's not working or something's wrong. So that way I know. Um, outside of that, be sure to head over to the website for movie news, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course, news related to the comics. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts that we have to offer. Uh, tons of new episodes posting every single week. Um, in some cases, there's new episodes posting almost every day during the weekday. Um, in addition to that, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman universe. And if you have any interest in helping out, uh, we do have an opening for justly versus suicide squad miniseries that's coming out in December. We need someone to review that. Uh, we also have uh, justice league of America. When that eventually comes out, we'll need someone to cover that, which is, we're expecting that to release in February. Um, and then super sons as well coming out hopefully in February as well. So that we have a couple books that are, have openings as of right now, but then in addition to that, I'm, I'm looking for news writers for both comic news and all of the media news and merchandise news. So if you have any interest in writing news articles um, or you have time just to, you know, peruse the internet looking for Batman stories and want to write up articles, or if you have any interest in writing just editorials uh, related to old you know, trades or one shots or graphic novels or old comic story arcs and things like that. I'm always open to having fresh content that's editorial based more so than the news, because I think that stuff is what a lot of people, including you as the listeners enjoy reading on the site. So get in contact with me at TVU at the So that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Stella. And you've been listening to the Batman vs. Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Bye.